Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be continuing our discussion about cases reviewed by the Supreme Court in this last session. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and uh, Larry Bell, who's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. Terrific read. It is August the 19th, and on this day in 1953, the Iranian military, with the support and financial assistance of the United States government, overthrew the government of Premier Mohammad Mosaddegh and and, uh, reinstated the Shah of Iran. Iran remained a solid Cold War ally of the United States until a revolution ended the Shah's rule in 1979. Mosaddegh came to prominence in Iran in 1951 when he appointed was appointed premier, a fierce nationalist. Mosaddegh immediately began attacks on British oil companies operating in the country, calling for expropriation appropriation and nationalization of the oil fields. His actions brought him in conflict with the pro-Western elites of Iran and the Shah. Indeed, the Shah dismissed Mosaddegh in mid-1952, but massive public riots condemning the action forced the Shah to reinstate Mosaddegh a short time later. U.S. officials watched events in Iran with growing suspicion. British intelligence sources uh, working with the American uh, Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, became to the conclusion that Mosaddegh had communist leanings and would move Iran into the Soviet orbit if allowed to stay in power. Working with the Shah, the CIA, and British intelligence began to engineer a plot to overthrow Mosaddegh. The Iranian premier, however, got wind of the plan and called for his supporters to take to the streets in protest. At this point, the Shah left the country for medical reasons. When British intelligence backed away from the debacle, the CIA continued to convert uh, covert operations, I should say, in Iran, working with pro-Shah forces and, most importantly, with Iranian military. The CIA cajoled, threatened, and bribed its way into influence to help organize another coup attempt against Mosaddegh. On the 19th of 1953, August 19th, the military backed by street protest organized and financed by the CIA overthrew Mosaddegh. The Shah quickly returned to take power and, as thanks for the American help, signed over 40% of Iran's oil fields to U.S. companies. Mosaddegh was arrested, served three years in prison, and died under house arrest in 1967. The Shah became one of America's most trusted Cold War allies and U.S. uh, economic and military aid poured into Iran during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. In 78, however, the anti-Shah and anti-American protests broke out in Iran, and the Shah was toppled from power in 1979. American uh, angry militants seized the U.S. Embassy and held the American staff hostage until January 1981, remember that? And nationalism, not only communism, uh, proved to be the most serious threat to the U.S. power in Iran. Such an interesting story. How come we're so involved uh, in uh, uh, foreign 
politics and power like that. I like the president's current stance of, you know, we look after American interests. Uh, so interesting. The overthrow of the of uh, Mossadegh. Well, despite last-minute few fake uh, dirty tricks, Byron Donalds appeared to have won the Republican nomination for the U.S. District 19 congressional race. Congratulations, Byron. I supported Byron. It was a close race, and I'm just so pleased for him. Even uh, yesterday, a fake text circulated pretending to be from Byron, stating that he was withdrawing from the race on the final day of the election. It was a close contest. Uh, Cape Coral native Dane Eagle trailed him by 774 votes, or just 0.75% of the margin. There would have been a, uh, a recount had it been within 0.5, but uh, Donald's pulled ahead by a wide enough margin to avoid a recount and uh, won the race Uh this is uh, unlike third and fourth place winners Casey Ascar and Doug, uh, William Fig, uh, Dr. Figgestaller. Uh, neither Donalds nor Eagle funded their own races. Ascar poured in three million bucks of his own money, and Figgestaller spent about two point one million of his on his campaign. Uh, that's a lot of money. And, and the interesting thing about this is you get no return on your investment. If you don't win, you're out of it. That's it. Now Donalds is going to pay uh, face Cindy Banyai. Uh, FGCU political science instructor won the Democrat primary. It's pretty much of a, the die is cast at this point that uh, Byron Donalds will be our congressman, uh, be this being such a deep uh, conservative area. Uh, I think we got about 100,000 more voters in this area, in this district, uh, Republicans than, than uh, Democrats. Congratulations to Byron Donalds. Big, big victory for him, and he will be a terrific congressman and service very well in Washington, D.C. In other races, Rick LoCastro, a retired Air Force colonel, beat out fellow Republican William Douglas, who is backed by Donna Fiala, a former Greater Naples Fire Rescue Chief Lieutenant, and Mark Batchelor, who recently retired from a job as a community association manager. LoCastro is now set to face Democrat and businessman John Jenkins. He's the guy that got arrested for cocaine uh, possession uh, just a few weeks ago. I don't I wonder if he's going to stay in the race. Got nobody to oppose him, so why not, huh? But anyhow, I think uh, LoCastro will be a great commissioner. I, I like the cut of his jib. Commissioner Bill McDaniel won his district seat fifth uh, D, seat district five seat in 2016. He defeated primary challenger Mike Pretcher. So congratulations to uh, Bill McDaniel. Abe Skinner who's been on the ballot forever, has no really background in real estate, but he defeated opponent Rick Lussie, a rematch of the 2016 clash. Uh, he beat him by 78% to 21%. And incumbent Crystal Kinzel will continue to head the Cuyahoga County Clerk's Office after defeating her former subordinate in Tuesday's election. Congratulations, Crystal. And Cuyahoga County voter uh, went to the polls Tuesday and decided that the school district will have the flexibility it, it, and in in its capital and operations funds. I voted against this, but uh, they, <laughs> they've had enough money. They don't need to be dipping into the capital funds. But anyhow, uh, they won that uh, battle, so they will have the flexibility to dip into the capital fund. And uh, Marco Island residents voted against uh, or yes to prohibit the cultivation, manufacturing, and warehousing, distribution, and sale of recreational marijuana within the city limits. <clears throat> and finally... Uh, city of Naples voted, uh, cast their ballots in favor of a referendum that will bring new ethics measures to the city. I look forward to talk to Bill Barnett about that tomorrow, former mayor, mayor of Naples. Uh, that, 
I, I, I think I, this makes no sense. Uh, the, uh, the, we don't need any, any new ethics uh, uh, measures in, in Naples. We'll find out why. So that'll be tomorrow. But I do want to make mention that Firebrown conservative Laura Loomer has d- delivered a stunning primary victory in President Donald Trump's voting district in Florida. That's over there in Palm Beach. Loomer, who has been systematically targeted by big tech firms like uh, Twitter and uh, Google and the others, appears to hold the title for the most banned person from most apps in America, now goes on to face... Democrat Louis Frankel, or Lois Frankel, I guess it is, in district uh, in Florida, 21st Congressional District. Uh, the left has been panicked about Loomer's candidacy since she announced and subsequently outraged and outcampaigned her political opponent. So she is going to be a force, and we'll watch that race carefully as well. Well, Democrats officially nominated Joe Biden as their presidential nominee after a roll call vote across the country. Also, uh, on night two of the convention, 17 quote-unquote rising stars in the Democrat Party, including former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, who's currently out of work, but she gave the keynote. Former President Bill Clinton criticized the Trump administration's response to COVID-19 and calling it chaos. AOC gave a shout-out to Biden's rival-turned-supporter Bernie Sanders. Another special guest, Jill Biden, who is back in school. She talked about the family's personal tragedies and said her husband would make us whole again. Uh, up to tonight, former President Barack Obama and 2016 nominee Hillary Clinton and Senator Kamala Harris, I should say Kamala, uh, will officially accept the VP nomination. Now, I didn't watch the events last night, but I found this commentary, which I found very interesting. This is Kaylee McGee, commentary writer for the Washington Examiner. She says, well, of course, Bill Joe Biden accepted the Democrat Party's nomination in what it might have been the most awkward, unexciting way possible after a Democrat official announced that Biden had won a majority of the party's delegates. The virtual event switched over to high school library where Biden and his wife Jill waited. The segment was obviously live because the transition was so clunky that viewers had to watch two, uh, the two stand there smiling awkwardly while strange confetti fell from the ceiling. <laughs> Uh, but don't worry, Democrats made sure to include pre-recorded applause from multiple guests, switching back and forth from shots of Biden to the screen filled with floating heads and awkward clapping. And all the while, Cool and the Gang's celebration played in the background as if to remind voters that Biden is from the era of most of them they can't even remember. Anyhow, I cannot inf- emphasize enough, she says, the production value of the event had been horrible. It's a wonder anyone is taking it seriously. The staged applause was cheesy, and the transitions were so cumbersome that even the Bidens looked uncomfortable. The viewers clearly felt uncomfortable, too, because the ratings from the first night of the convention were abysmal. So abysmal, they were about 40% below uh, this time last year. Now, I'm talking about the major networks. Uh, anyhow, uh, it it was really very amateurish, and I, I just don't understand why, with all the Hollywood talent, all the people that are available, why they couldn't do a really professional performance, even though it is virtual. So interesting. Another dud for the Democrat Party. 
This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4100. 11 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org we'll see you at the show welcome back to the bob harden show and now here's your host bob harden Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. 
Thank you, Bob. Uh, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org is the website. So, Bob, uh, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the uh, cases that had been reviewed by the Supreme Court in this latest term. And uh, we talked about one case about the Trump's financial information. There's a second opinion about Trump's uh, records, financial records, involved two requests from Congress. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, two consolidated cases. The first was Trump versus Mazors. Uh, this is the House Oversight and Reform Committee. They subpoenaed Trump's financial uh, disclosure reports to investigate possible conflicts of interest and irregularities and whether or not, uh, so the committee says, whether or not additional legislation is needed. Uh, Trump has objected to that loose standard and says that the committee is simply uh, considering legislation. And, uh, <laughs> and considering legislation is not sufficient justification, so says Trump. Mm -hmm. The D.C. Circuit, the appellate court, upheld the subpoena two to one, and then it went to the Supremes. The second case is Trump versus Deutsche Bank. Uh, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals also upheld subpoenas, this one from the House Intelligence Committee and the Financial Services Committee, to both Deutsche Bank and Capital One. They want more than 10 years of financial records on Trump, his businesses, Eric Donald Jr. and Ivanka uh, for investigation into Russian money laundering and potential foreign influence uh, involving Trump. Uh, the president argues that this is harassment and there's no legitimate uh, legislative purpose. So those are the two cases that the court had to, uh, had to consider. Witch hunt. <laughs> Another witch hunt is what it amounts to. So how did the court resolve the congressional subpoenas? Uh, Roberts, 7-2, um, said that the lower courts did not give adequate consideration to the separation of powers concerns uh, raised by these congressional subpoenas. Mm -hmm. and contrasting that, by the way, with the first case that I, we mentioned last week, and that was a subpoena by uh, the, the uh, Manhattan uh, district attorney where there's not separation of powers concerns because we're not talking about two branches of the federal government. In any event, in this case, these two cases, there are separation of powers concerns. We're talking about House committees versus the president. Mm -hmm. And uh, the court, in this case, Roberts, again, writing the opinion, 7-2, said that this might entail partisan motivation and could be harassment. And he established a four-part test. Uh, part one, Congress has to consider other sources to, uh, to accomplish their purpose. Second, uh, the subpoena has to be specific no broader than reasonably necessary. Third, Congress has to give uh, evidence that the subpoenas advance some legislative, valid legislative purpose. And fourth, the burden on the president has to be minimized. So Roberts vacated the lower court's opinion, remanded it to the lower court for further uh, consideration. Thomas and Alito both dissented and uh, said that uh, the subpoenas should have been uh, uh, upheld. Uh, they... Uh, that is Congress so has no subpoena power for anyone's private, um, non-official documents. That is so interesting. So uh, Alito and uh, Thomas were suggests that they the subpoena should have been allowed. No, they said that the Congress they would have they would have uh, uh, canceled these subpoenas altogether. So oh, they see. went further than the majority. I Congress see. has no subpoena power, says uh, says uh, Thomas, for anyone's private non-official documents, and if they want to investigate the president, they need to do so under the impeachment power. And Alito's dissent said that the president's 
personal documents are seldom uh, of any value in considering uh, legislation, and, and they can often, these kinds of subpoenas can often be used improperly uh, for harassment purposes, and that the separation of powers concerns suggests a higher standard. So they would have thrown the subpoenas out altogether. Roberts uh, and the seven-person majority vacated the opinion sent it back to the lower courts. I see. Thank you for your clarification, Bob. And I think those four points that you made about what, what the hurdle that has to be crossed, I think those were important it's statements by uh, Roberts in his decision as well. Yeah, this is another case, by the way, that we've been talking about where these uh, conservatives have crossed over, sided with liberals, liberals have crossed over, sided with conservatives again. Roberts has succeeded, um, I think, beyond anyone's anticipation. And um, you may not agree with him, but you, he succeeded in, pre in presenting the court as a uh, non-ideological and non-partisan mm -hmm. uh, arbiter of these legal issues. Well, that's all we want from the Supreme Court is uh, to focus on enforcing the rule of law and the Constitution. So, so let's discuss the three big cases the court declined to take over, to take on. First is this one about qualified immunity, the qualified immunity issue. Yeah, this was a disappointment. Uh, the standard for criminalizing police abuse is the Fourth Amendment standard. That is, that they have to act reasonably in their search and seizure operations. But the civil standard, this is what is at issue in this case, the civil standard for holding officers uh, liable for damages is that uh, in order to do that, you have to show that they violated rights under circumstances that were previously litigated in the very same judicial circuit and resulted in a clearly established precedent. And if that didn't happen, uh, the officer qualifies uh, for immunity. So there are a lot of cases, a series of qualified immunity cases, and the court uh, refused to review them all, even though everybody anticipated that they were going to take one. Uh, only Thomas was uh, willing to review this uh, this uh, civil standard, and from my perspective, there's this you know stunning indifference of the officers who, uh, as you saw that video, stood by as George Floyd uh, begged for his life, uh, and that's I think a byproduct of this uh, very low level of accountability uh, for law enforcement. And again, I qualify that by saying we all understand that most of the law enforcement authorities. Uh, perform their duties uh, with diligence, but there are a few bad apples. We have to have means of ferreting them out and holding them accountable. So none of the justices uh, on the court, uh, other than uh, other than uh, Thomas, uh, was uh, were responsible for creating this, uh, this doctrine, but they all have a responsibility to fix it, and only Thomas was willing to do so. So Congress really has to address the problem. Yeah. That's could you clarify for me, and my, my ignorance, I apologize for this, but the, now this qualified immunity applies to civil or uh, criminal charge? Uh, civil. Civil. Civil standard holding officers liable for damages uh, when they violate the rights of somebody. Monetary damages, that's where qualified immunity applies. And, so, the, and the rule is that you can hold the, lawyer, uh, the uh, officer liable if you can find a previously litigated case in the same judicial circuit with similar circumstances that established a clear precedent. Uh, and, of course, this is a vicious circle. Yeah. You can't have a precedent until you have a case. You can't have a case until you have a precedent. 
So it's a very difficult uh, hurdle to surmount. It certainly it certainly sounds that way. And of course, uh, we have the uh, unions, which are really running interference for these bad apples right now, just to mix metaphors. So exactly right. Yeah. Yes. So so disappointing. Can we we'll just talk about one other case? And the court also declined a case on sanctuary cities and gun gun owners' rights. Anything more on those? Yeah, the sanctuary cities, California can uh, can prohibit employers from voluntarily cooperating with federal immigration officials and bar uh, local authorities from sharing information about uh, release from custody of people that might be deportable. So the the rule of the court uh, refused to review this and basically relied on the old precedent, which says the feds cannot commandeer states to enforce federal law, but the states cannot frustrate the feds if the feds want to enforce federal law. So that was the rule and remains the rule. And mm-hmm. the, court refused to step in on gun rights. Uh, for the last decade, the lower courts have been all over the place in applying the Heller case. Uh, so the, the, this time, the court denied certain 10 cases. The justices refused to settle any of the legal confusion arising out of uh, uh, out of Heller. So that was also disappointing, but uh, there may be another opportunity. These gun cases come up all the time. Yeah, Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate this clarification, discussion about the the cases from the Supreme Court, Bob. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. And again, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Check it out. We have other guests on the show uh, on in future days this week uh, from the Cato Institute. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andy Joppa, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I hope you'll visit the website, vfga.org. Coming up, going to visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, an author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hey, Andy, I know that uh, you've been a big supporter and friend of Byron Donalds. He uh, won by a slim margin the uh, primary vote last night, so he's moving on to, uh, uh, her name is Benya, I think, is anyhow, in the November 3rd election. Any thoughts? Well, I'm very pleased, obviously. I've uh, known Byron since 2012. It was my group, the Council for Constitutional Principles, that I think almost gave Byron his coming out party. Uh, I had interviewed Byron in front of uh, approximately 100 people at the VFW entirely on the Constitution. And I think this is the major point I'd like your audience to understand about Mr. Donalds. He is the most uh, astute constitutionalist I have ever met in my life. He knows the Constitution like the back of his hand. He's, uh, it, I asked him some of the most uh, difficult questions as it pertains to the Constitution and its application uh, into American politics and American life. He had everything spot on. So this is a, this is a fabulous candidate. He's, he's a good man. Um, this is a, a subset. It has no meaning, except I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. This is one of the most conservative districts, the, the uh, Florida Congressional 19th, politically conservative. No doubt, no one would dispute that. And here we're electing an African-American. So I, I just bring that up to somewhat put to lie the, this general leftist premise that conservatives and people on the right and Republicans are, are somehow bigots and racists. And this doesn't totally dismiss that, that obs- absurd allegation, but certainly it should lend something to it. Yeah. I, I would like to add one uh, aside comment. This has nothing to do with uh, with Mr. Donalds or to disparage his win. But I, I generally have a, a dislike of a winner-take-all contest with seven candidates where one wins with 23% of the vote, as, as, uh, as Byron did. Uh, I generally favor, Bob, something called a ranked-choice voting method, where... Uh, as the voter goes in, he'll vote not only for his first choice, but his second and third choice. Hmm. Uh, when it's this type of election, they would drop the bottom candidate, move his second-place choice into the other candidates, until eventually, eliminating the bottom, adding them to the top, one candidate reaches a 50% level. I, I, I just prefer that. Uh, I'm not going to go into the uh, excruciating details of the ranked-choice voting method, but I, I just have a tough time accepting in any election where there's this many candidates where one wins with 23% yeah. of the votes. Point well taken. Actually, uh, when we have our school board vote, we all uh, the school board uh, candidates have to get 50%, and they do it exactly the way you described. So we're kind of all over the place. I wonder if it's because one is state or, or county and the other is uh, federal. I, I do not know the answer to that. 
Well, there are the main uses the ranked choice voting uh, method. It's it's more complicated. It takes more uh, more time because you have to play this out through maybe multi levels of movement of of the votes. But uh, on the other hand, it, it prevents a, a a very tight, limited minority candidate from winning. Uh, let, let's not use the bias. I think he has a broad base popularity. But let's take a candidate that is uh, only a radical candidate with a very limited. Uh, uh, a voting population supporting him, maybe nothing beyond that. And so if you take the second-place candidate, who may be a very broad-based support candidate, but doesn't get that, that, that larger single vote, uh, I think it prevents that from happening. And that's, that's why I, I tend to favor this ranked-choice voting yeah. method. <clears throat> well, uh, I'm not going to win that, ele- that, that process here in Florida at this point. Well, fortunately, the process uh, produced the best possible candidate for us, and I think Byron will serve us well in Washington, D.C. I was very pleased with his victory, and he's a good man. I know him, his character. He's just He will do a great job. And, uh, in, in the I sus- think every time I've seen Byron since 2012, uh, I think to his annoyance, I would say, when are you going to run for Congress, Byron? So <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm not giving myself credit for having urged this man into it, but uh, it has been my intent ever since then to get this fine man and a fine constitutionalist uh, into Congress. And I think he'll hit the uh, he'll hit the ground running. I don't think he's going to be one of these laid back, uh, no. silent uh, first uh, freshman uh, congressman. No, he'll he'll be a leader up there. He will impress, and he'll be one of the people that they that uh, folks from Fox and other uh, outlets, media outlets, call to uh, to get him as, as an interview because he's very well spoken, extremely smart, and uh, will do a great job for us. So, and now I, I want to move to the Democrat uh, convention uh, second night, last night. Of <laughs> I said the first night was a dud. I'm thinking the second night came out as a dud too. What do you? thoughts well yeah i mean it's it's a uh, an ongoing infomercial um dr jill biden and uh, she's the only person with an education doctorate that actually uses the title of doctor before her name i've been in that world all my life i've known no one with an educational doctorate who uses the doctor title but she is obviously the uh the 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 power behind the throne in this case um i think we're looking at a situation with uh the the uh People who are presenting, for example, Stacey Abrams, who believes she's the governor of Georgia and uh, making outlandish remarks about Trump being a coward and, and being a denier, distract uh, person. Uh, regardless of how anyone feels about Donald Trump, cowardness is not one of, no. one of his attributes. You look at Bill Clinton, who... Uh, uh, suggested that the chaos in the White House cannot be tolerated. I mean, my goodness, uh, who was more, more chaotic than uh, Bill Clinton, particularly from 96 <laughs> through 2000? Um, I, I would like to add, this is this is very specific, but uh, Bill um, Joe Biden was interviewed or uh, had an interview with Cardi B. Now, this doesn't sound significant. Cardi B is a, is a hip-hop artist. Her latest song released has 93 million streams, 93 million, Bob. Mm -hmm. And if you were to go online and look at the lyrics for this song, WAP, W-A-P, and I can't tell you what the what the words mean because you're, you're, you're you would be knocked off off the air in some way. Uh, but if you look at this, you can get a good sense of the the major problems with America, particularly young America. It is the most uh, scurrilous, vulgar uh, type of 
a presentation degrading women, degrading uh, people in general. And yeah. uh, for, for Joe Biden to give time to an interview with Cardi B is, is absolutely outrageous, Bob. Yeah, no, no point well taken. Uh, Andy, I have so many other things I want to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I will be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, uh, you know, we had a couple of uh, never-Trumpers who were on the uh, DS as well. Any thoughts? Well, the Democrats use these uh, limited number of Republicans, and they define them as unity candidates, and or not they're unity uh, politicians. Uh, John Kasich, who uh, uh, has had a strong dislike, personal dislike of <coughs> of, of the president uh, ever since the the campaign process in 2016. I think out of out of pure vindictiveness and jealousy, if I might, uh, John Kasich has made outlandish statements at the Democratic convention. Colin Powell is defined as a, a unity Republican. Um, of course, he, he supported Barack Obama in both of his campaigns, in both of his candidacies. He also supported Hillary Clinton. So this is, this is not a Republican. I think Colin Powell, in my estimation, has always been one of the most overrated uh, uh, participants in the American political process. You can add to that people like Susan Molinari out of New York, Christine Todd Whitman out of 
out of New Jersey. I, I find it absolutely inexplicable how these people will not only uh, go into the Democratic Convention and make statements, but in almost every case, their statements are wrong. Uh, they, they, they seem to cite the, uh, the Democrat positions on Trump that they've created artificially through the media rather than any reality. And I, I see this, of course, as a constant theme across the, uh, the Democratic Party at this point to, to use their positions that they've created as the reality of Donald Trump, and very, very little of it has anything to do with the reality of this great man. No, I think that is absolutely true. And in spite of all that, he continues to, I'm talking about the president now, surge in the polls. Well, the most recent polls I've seen, Bob, and I'm, uh, I don't want to become unduly optimistic, but that's not my style, but if we look at the, uh, the, the gap now in the 15 battleground states, uh, it shows... Biden with about a 1% lead at this point. That's, that's down from about 9% just about a month ago. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at a, uh, even if the polls are somewhat corrupted by this or by that, uh, certainly that kind of decline in the same poll from 9% to 1% in a month is significant. If we look nationwide, uh, it shows a 4%. Uh, a Biden lead, which uh, a month and a half ago was 15 percent or approaching 15 percent in some polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look particularly at the number of male voters. Uh, it's now a 56 to 40 uh, percentage uh, of males favoring President Trump in the 35 to 64 year old uh, age age group. Uh, independents now show Trump about even with Biden. Now, these are not these are numbers that still slightly favor Biden in most cases. Mm-hmm. But if we look at the trend, and this is what I looked at in 2016 when I when I predicted a Trump victory, it was the movement of Trump uh, as we approach the uh, the election day and the limited uh, actual uh, fervency of support uh, for Hillary Clinton in that point. And I think there is an absolute absence of fervency. For Joe Biden, I don't care how they try to build this up. This is a man that is drawing limited support himself. Uh, he's linked himself now with Kamala Harris, who is uh, once this campaign opens up in full, the Kamala Harris is so vulnerable. I, I can't believe, and I, you know, I hope the Dem- the Republicans can exploit this woman's obviously tawdry past. Uh, I think I'm becoming more and more optimistic. I am going to go as far as say I am predicting a Trump victory in November if it's a legal election. I don't want to make that a uh, a, a comment that has an absolute uh, guarantee, in other words, the illegality. But if I look at the way the Democrats are almost fanatically supporting the, the vote by mail, there's only one reason that this kind of intense fanaticism could be generated and that's that they understand that there's no easier way to manipulate the vote right. than the vote by mail. Is, so, isn't it uh, curious? That is my biggest concern. Bob. Isn't it curious that they can pivot so quickly from some of these other issues like Black Lives Matter and uh, COVID nineteen? Now they immediately pivot to the post office, <laughs> and they're in unison. I mean, you, it, they're all saying the same thing. And uh, now the Postmaster General, uh, Louis DeJoy, I guess his name Joy, is, yes. uh, he's been in the, office, in the role for a couple of months. He, he hasn't really made any changes, and he's made a statement that he would halt, uh, halt all operational changes and cost-cutting to the U.S. Postal Service. So hopefully, until the election's over, so hopefully this will quell the uprising about the post office. But, you know, the post office delivers 475 million pieces of mail a day, so what's the big deal with 160 uh, million? I, well, mean, I, I think I get most of that mail myself, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> if, if I could, if I could judge. Uh, yeah. But you know, this is a circumstance that the Democrats are again trying to produce a circumstance in which they can't lose. If the vote is by mail, then I think they they will use it for their own nefarious purpose. Right. If this is, uh, if, if it doesn't happen, then Trump will be will be blamed for having suppressed the vote. And when he wins in November, that will be their focus point for uh, for the challenge to the, the the Trump presidency that he he suppressed the vote and. One way or the other, that's going to happen with a Trump win. But I think they're using this vote by mail as either a way of, of uh, rigging the vote, if I might, Bob, or in fact condemning the president uh, after his victory in November. Yeah, well, this this I think underscores the importance of local state houses. I mean, to, you know, for example, uh, they're the ones that are going to be making the decision with regard to mail vote by mail. This has to be done by state by state basis. So, uh, hopefully, the public will be informed, prevent this from happening. Which it's, it's I guess has already been voted in, in in a couple of western states. So. It, this is the scary business because, to your point, I mean, these people that uh, they're they're sending out vote ballots to people that are dead, to dogs, to cats, to and and again, these things could be harvested by who knows, who, but you know, anybody could go around and try and collect these things and get some people to sign them. There'll be no no surety to vote. The concept of uh, ballot harvesting, I, I believe, is going to take place. And I think we just have to judge by the intensity of the, of the Democrat process. These are not people that are so fervently committed to everybody having the ability to, to vote and keeping them safe from COVID-19. These are, these are not people in that category. Their fervency can only be defined for one reason, and that's that they understand the, uh, the ability to rig an election that was entirely by mail. Uh, one of the more disparaging um, statistics I heard recently was that something like 75 or 76 percent of the American people uh, support the voting by mail concept. So, but again, these these are type of polls that uh, are, are questionable. Obviously, uh, I hope your point is correct that the state houses will control this, uh, continue to control this, and will maintain their strength in doing so. Bob. Well, let me make this point. There's a there's a point of confusion here because Linda and I vote by mail. Uh, we do this every year, and the reason why is because there's typically things on the ballot that we haven't really discussed, or you know. So we'll sit down and really go through the ballot and really look at it and make you know individual decisions. But we'll we'll do it through joint discussion. Uh, but the, but it's done by a process that uh, checks our signature. We go through this entire process that uh, right now Jennifer Edwards, who's our supervisor of elections, does a terrific job in, in making sure that the votes are appropriate and proper. That's what we need to count on as these local officials to make this happen but if you send out uh app ballots to everybody and expect them to vote it that is just asking for corruption and fraud it's the intent uh, and I, I hate to be so specific and, and absolute about that but i think it's the intent it's the intent uh, to produce an illegal uh, outcome of the, of the vote speaking of jennifer edwards she has done an absolutely sensational job i i have a, a, a continuing history ever since i started to vote up Voting in person, Bob, and I, I, I think there was one time I was in Europe on vacation where I, I had an absentee ballot, but uh, yesterday I went to the poll and sort of a, uh, a feeling of uh, patriotic enthusiasm when I walk into a polling place and uh, I actually cast my, cast my vote literally. Uh, as compared to Milligan. I'm not trying to say you did anything wrong, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but my intent is to be in person and uh, cast my vote. Oh, no, well, my uh, listening point well said. I think that, you know, the important thing is the franchise, the ability to vote, 
110 billion people have lived on this uh, planet. About 8% of those people are still alive, and a very small percentage of those people who ever lived ever had an opportunity to have a vote that really mattered. So uh, we should cherish our, this, uh, this franchise that we have, and uh, I certainly do, even though I vote by mail. That's an interesting thing to consider. I would like to add to this. The, the focus of our, of our voting process has been on ease of access, which is an important consideration. We want to be sure that if people want to vote, they can vote. Right. But it almost left out of this discussion is where I think the, the focus should be, and that's the legality of the vote. And there's a certain incongruity or an inverse relationship between ease of voting and the legality of voting. So I, I think by putting our focus on ease of voting as compared to where it should be on, on legality, I think we create automatically the potentials, higher potentials of illegal votes. So yeah, just, uh, that's just a, a, a general just should, comment. It shouldn't be either or, it should be both. Andy, I just genu- I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting uh, with... Professor uh, Larry, that's me just reaching for <laughs> for the equipment, uh, for Larry Bell, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of How Everything Happened, Including Us. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. 
uh, creating policy, policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of several books. His latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us, terrific read. Uh, he's uh, also written books on climate change, uh, which scared witless the prophets and prophets of climate doom, and writes his column uh, for Newsmax.com. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for joining us, Professor. And you wrote a couple of columns this, uh, this week that caught my eye. One is Time to End Lockdowns from Public School Alternatives. I really appreciated your comments. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, I'm sure this is a, a real big deal with an awful lot of families across the United States where, you know, the... Uh, children of all ages, but most particularly the, the younger children that are just learning socialization skills and and how to deal with their peers and and uh, and to have contact with you know with others outside of their homes such as teachers and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and of course their their friends is so important to their lives and uh, and uh, and, and of course, to the families as well, because uh, many of them are struggling to get jobs or hold on to their jobs during the coronavirus, and uh, they can't do homeschooling, and and uh, and they're not really prepared for that. It's a it's a whole special uh, challenge, particularly when you have multiple children in different grades and so on. So, uh, you know, the issue of of Shutting down schools, going or going entirely virtual, which is really difficult with young children to keep their attention. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a huge problem for people today. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, uh, I think it was, was it Walter E. Williams that made the point that when kids come into the world, they're they're little savages, and you have to turn them into uh, adults and to people that they really can uh, can make a contribution to society. And to your point. A lot of that is not necessarily just uh, knowing facts and learning information, but it's learning how to interact with others, with authority, with peers, with uh, and to be able to uh, quote. And I hate to use the term "fit in," but to be able, be able to excel in your social skills—that's something that's so important in school. Yeah, and it's also become a everything. You know, things are not simple these days, and. Mm. But I, I'm critical of the teachers' unions, and and um, I think with public schools, and of course we have many wonderful public schools across the country. There's no no question about that, and and uh, families very often uh, choose their residence near a good school district right. for their children because it it is such a terribly important priority. And so, not to bash public schools, but but the unions have such strong political power, and uh, we've seen it in the overreach of the you know, teachers' unions making demands for returning to work that have really nothing to do with uh, COVID. They have to do with all these other kind of socially prominent issues, yeah. and uh, and and uh, it's, it it complicates things. Uh, parents have and teachers have reasons for concern about 
about putting themselves in harm's way as far as COVID is concerned. And I can empathize. I'm, I still have graduate students at the University of Houston, and uh, I'll be teaching remotely this this fall. That's a different situation. They're much more mature, of course, and uh, and and uh, but but I think we have to put children first, put yeah. their interests first, and and that would mean that some teachers that are in the same age vulnerability that I am would have to keep themselves out of it and uh, let the younger teachers who are less at risk, uh, you know, be involved and, and of course practice uh, safety precautions. Right, and and uh, many teachers don't even support. They, they're, they're, they're in the union because they have to, and then I've, I'm finding more and more teachers are finding out their, their interests are not being served by the union, but the money should follow the child, but we pay in $22,000 per student in Collier County, and uh, there's some discussion about whether teachers will come back you know, if, if the parents should be able to decide, look, let's just, I want to send my child to a parochial school or I want to send my child to a technical school, whatever it might be, they should have choice and they should be able to make that decision and the money should follow. They shouldn't have to come out out of pocket for additional money to, to educate their children. Well, therein lies the problem, too, is that the uh, teachers' union have great sway in many states and, and localities and, uh, the notion that you have blanket shutdowns where, where not only public schools are shut down, but, but also they, you know, they say all schools will shut down and which, which is the private schools get paid regardless of whether teachers show up or not. Mm-hmm. But when you, you mentioned that, you know, the, you know, the private schools and the, and the parochial schools and so on, religious schools don't have that luxury. They don't have, you know they're they're dependent upon tuition. Mm-hmm. They don't have a, a, a cash reserve, and uh, it's suspicious that and suspect in many places where these shutdown rules are really engineered by unions, teachers' unions, to kill the competition, including you know charter schools, which in many neighborhoods are you know have a, have a very excellent history of of performance and. Uh, Yes, the money should follow, but also, I think when uh, when when public authorities overstep their bounds and and say, well, to tell private schools what they can do and what they can't do, it's uh, it's uh, beyond beyond their uh, authority. Absolutely. Well, I don't know how it is in in Houston. Uh, it's there's uh, not broad support from the school board or for the unions for charter schools, and charter schools are vastly outperforming public schools in terms of uh, uh, the metrics for learning. I mean, 58% of the kids that uh, in the fifth grade can read at grade level here in Collier County, but it's about 90% in the charter school. So what's the difference? Well, I think in part it's the curriculum and the teachers. I, and I'm not bashing the teachers, but in many cases we've been using this uh, uh, outdated curriculum or ineffective curriculum, which fortunately is being changed in Florida right now. So uh, what, what is the, the curriculum? I've forgotten now, but irrespective, it's, it's being changed for the good. Well, Thomas Sowell is... Uh he just turned 90 years old. He is a really impressive black man. Uh, it's incidental that he's black. He's just an excellent, you know, wonderful yeah. 
wonderful writer, wonderful person, did a study on charter schools and uh, was looking at, you know, the past, the previous century, the first half of the century, where he's looking at black schools in New York and uh, charter schools. And, and in some cases, these schools were in the same building as the public schools. And uh, such such incredible difference in performance, as you mentioned, where where the the, you know, the public the charter schools with minorities were well performing uh, schools that were not black at all, and just uh, it had marvelous marvelous records. And but charter schools have been hurt by again the, the teachers' unions, where right. they can't get uh, even when. Even where where schools have been discontinued and they have vacant buildings, they're not allowed to use the spaces because of the uh, politicians. Right, absolutely. So they've done everything they can to strangle the, the charter schools, and it's it's really uh, it's it's really a tragedy. Professor, this has been such an uh, important conversation. I want to encourage our listeners to go to newsmax.com and check out uh, Larry Bell's. Uh, column. It's called On Point, and the latest is Time to End Lockdowns from Public School Alternatives. Also, uh, uh, get online and get a copy on Kindle or uh, Amazon.com, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor, genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thanks for joining us. Well, Bob, thank you very much. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely did and learned a lot. Uh, I hope you join us tomorrow. We'll have some great guests lined up as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. Bob Harden. Dot com.